Thorough Hall Show is now in our third season, and it is dedicated to the person that wants to podcast and learn how to build that audience and monetize that audience. Our guest, just like the one coming up, is doing just that. Subscribe to the podcast and let's grow together. Now, let's get into the episode. Robert Bauer, welcome to the Earl Hall Show. I am so excited about having you here today. How are you doing, my friend? Well, I appreciate the uh, the invite and the opportunity. And as far as how I'm doing, I'm above average, but I'm getting better. Hey, I love it. I, I absolutely love that. You know, I was. <laughs> we're going to be talking about some things today because it's. I'm putting you in this in my own mind's eye bucket of, let's see, weird. Uh, conspiracy theory um, and uh, strange, but that's probably weird too, which are all things that I am. So this is going um, well, to I, be... I would I would agree with one and three on number two. Um, I'm actually a conspiracy analyst. Got it. Okay. Well, they're still going, they're, they're still going to call us conspiracy theorists. So, I mean, yeah, but we have to dub ourselves what it is that we actually are. You well, know, there's so much afoot out there these days, and, and particularly over the last 30, 40 years that I've been paying attention to it, that mm -hmm. you look at it and you go, well, wait a minute. I, just because you've put that label on it um, brings up a whole bunch of questions. Yeah. And. So what I start doing is I start asking questions and I start digging deeper and trying to understand, you know, the who's, the what's, the where's and the why's and, and the when's. And you go, well, I, there's something in this story, what I'm affectionately mm -hmm. referring to as the narradime, that is uh, got, it, it, there's stuff that's afoot. There's things that need to be clarified. And the only way yeah. you can do that is with questions. So I've become an uh, quite a uh, an analyst on all fronts, and when you're an analyst, what do you do? You ask questions. Yeah, and and that's good because so many times people don't ask the questions, right? Um, and and even in asking the questions, a lot of times you can get to the gist of, um, or get at least a little bit closer to what the truth actually is, you know. Mm -hmm. And as long as we have that open dialogue about whatever the subject is, um, we can make some headway. You know, on that, I mean, I remember my own days back. Oh, gosh, this was years ago. The, the flat earth theory. I like got all into that. Right. And it's like, well, wait a minute. And so I just started asking questions and started looking at not just what, for instance, flat earthers would say, but everyone else, because there's somewhere in there, there's truth, you know, in that it's kind of like our our social media feeds. You know, it, I, I consider them to be the enhancer of what we already believe. Because our social media feeds only show us what we watch. It's like if you watch certain things, that's what it's going to continue to show you because its goal is to keep you there, you know, on that platform. So whether you're like a conservative or, you know, a liberal or whatever it is that you are, it's going to show you the stuff that you want to see because you're always liking it and you're always watching it. So I always try and since I know that I try and fake out my social media <laughs> <laughs> you know, especially YouTube, so that it doesn't yeah. just keep showing me what I already know. It's like, no, I need some new, I need some new thought things going on here. Help me with something here, because yes, sir. All right, your your bio, like, first of all, I, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing all of these words right because I need you to explain to me what this is. You said you're an autodidict, semi uh, 
semiotician so with an insatiable curiosity. Say again. So it's it's autodidact. Okay. It's and it's semiotician with an insatiable curiosity and overly fertilized uh, field of imagination. What is that? <laughs> so uh, I. So I'm I'm 66. So I've I've been around a little bit, mm-hmm. and over the last 50 years, I've been uh, involved in music. I've been a musician. Okay. At my own studio, my own uh, indie label, music label. Awesome. Um, I've spent over 40 years in technology. 30 years in science and philosophy. Okay. And over 20 years as a content creator. Wow. So very diverse in what I refer to as eclectic uh, background and experience. So as a result of all of that, as I was pursuing one thing after another and it led to something else and then pulled on one thread and then another pile of nuggets ended up on the table and I mm. rolled them around in my noggin and knocked them together and started going, well, well, wait a minute, there's, there's a lot of interdisciplinary things going on here. Mm. which is one of the things that I think is missing in just about all of the the majority of the human experience. There's not enough blend and balance of diversity. And unfortunately, the whole concept of diversity and equity and inclusion and all that stuff has been hijacked and mangled, yeah. manipulated, and, and causing a bunch of confusion in the conversation among the people that get engaged in it. So... What does an autodidact mean? Autodidact is somebody who is self-taught. Got it. And at the end of the day, we are all actually self-taught. Mm-hmm. Whether you go to a university or you get a certificate in a trade or whatever it is, you are pursuing knowledge and information. And whether someone is giving you, assisting you in that as an instructor or a mentor or a sensei, um, you are still learning on your own. So one of the things that's been very important in my journey over the last 20 years in particular is the linguistics and the use of language and how people don't really understand the actual words that they're using and the meanings behind them. That goes Um, pretty deep. I mean, just linguistics itself, because words have meaning, obviously. And, you know, we're living in an age now where people are trying to redefine what words actually mean. Um, and things mm-hmm. of that nature. So we're getting into a lot of a lot of trouble there, and it's it's causing issues, you know, within society, within even families, within the four walls of families as well. Especially if you've got a couple of different generations living under the same That's roof. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, what do you mean? And it's like, I mean, just now, what in the last what five years, we're seeing all this stuff on social media redefining language like i have to actually say i'm a he you know it's like i have to tick the box you know what are your your pronouns mm-hmm. like we're redefining this too um so but that's just on a on a micro level but the linguistic part that you're talking about on, on, from a macro level is that if we don't know what each other is saying there's no communication going on and, and at a minimum, uh, if you can get past uh, into a conversation, the conversation becomes convoluted mm. because there isn't an agreed upon 
set of definitions. And this is, you know, classic debate mm -hmm. uh, models that we all or most of us went through in school. Yeah. You have to level set where you're starting with and have agreement there before you can proceed. Because if you don't, then you're going to run into the the clash of of the language. Um, and that all that does is create more confusion, sure. chaos, consternation, and all those things. So I'm, I'm real big on, on the words, and that brings me to the second word, which is semiotician. A semiotician is someone who studies language and symbols. Okay. So uh, semiotics. So uh, what I found in all these different experiences I've had over the last 50-plus years was that in each one, there were not only differences, but there were also overlaps and crossovers. Words that were used in one discipline were also used in another. Some of them had the exact same meaning. Sometimes mm -hmm. they didn't. Now, in music, which I think is one of the most profound things that people need to really spend as much time as they can on, is that with music, and I'm, I'm big on the education uh, standpoint of okay. trying to make sure that we correct this really broken education system that we have because yeah. it's basically a factory model. It's a put a stamp on it. It's, you know, it's been put into its little silo and its little form and push them out so that they are productive uh, constructs within the community. They can actually go about and make something worth making and, and be uh, positive in their interaction. So when you think about music, music, the study of music, you can learn just about everything that you need to know that's important. And what I mean by that is music can teach you math, can teach you history, teach you uh, not just the language of music, but also the harmonics of music. Why is something harmony? Can teach you lyrics, and you can learn other languages. Um, science. There is an entire science in behind how music actually works. Mm -hmm. Why does why do you like one song and don't like another? Why does one song make you feel uplifted and powerful, and the other one makes you want to shed tears? Right. Um, and, and the sound and the, the sonic range of what sound actually means or what it actually does and the meaning behind it. I <laughs> challenge people once in a while. It's like, well, yeah, the, this movie was great. Um, uh, the visuals, the CGI, all of the – it was storyline yeah. was great. The actors are great and so forth. And I said, yeah, just try turning the sound off and watch the movie. It makes a difference. To tell me that you get the same impact. And conversely, you can listen to a soundtrack to a movie and have all the experience of the movie itself. Yeah. So sound is even more important than the visuals in, in a lot of cases. And so that's why I think that music as a whole is something that people need. They should be taught in school at the very earliest age. Because yeah, it was one of the things that I, first I first started my journey in music. Uh, it was fifth grade. I'll never forget it. I 
my dad bought me an alto saxophone and I learned how to play that thing and got pretty good. Even played at, at a wedding. Don't ask me to pick one up today because I, I can't. But uh, it's like I can I still know how to read notes. Right. And mm-hmm. and those types of things There's certain things. It's kind of like riding a bike. You, you don't forget those things. Um, but I think becoming a, a practitioner of music, which I'm not, um, is why I'm not great at it. But when you become a practitioner of music or, or, or anything, there comes a point where it is just almost automatic that you can just do the thing because it's mm-hmm. actually a part of who it is that you are. It, it has right. become who it is that you are. And with a lot of the things that that like I hear you talking about in particular, you know, on your podcast. And I know you've had several experiences that have literally become a part of who you are and has kind of really shaped uh, the person that Robert has become, you know, with that. When did the intersection of all these different things that you just talked about, when did you start to realize that they were actually interconnected? How did that happen for you? Hmm, I can't say that there was one particular event or, or moment I think it was uh, over a period of time through osmosis mm. each one of these experiences had uh, took up a major part of that period of life for example in my tech career throughout the 90s um, I I used to play guitar uh, I started playing when I was 13 in 1970 oh and, my gosh um, I used to play, I was born in Southern California, so I was in Southern California in the 70s, which people have asked, you know, what would be your idyllic place and time to grow up? And I was, well, hands down, the 70s in Southern California, it's where it was all happening. We still drank mm-hmm. water out of the hose in the in the yard. Exactly, exactly. Um, there was none of this uh, crazy stuff going on, and we weren't, you know, overpopulated by, you know, too many people doing weird things. But... Um, as time went on, uh, each one of these different parts of my life were like sections. So as I was saying in the, my tech career in the 90s, I didn't play. I played guitar maybe four hours a, a year uh, through the 90s. But I traveled all over the world. I was in Asia, Europe, South America, South Africa, all over the place. Wow. And I was doing my tech career. Um, and it wasn't something that I chose. It basically, I either, it either chose me or I stumbled into it face first. I understand. I have no degrees in technology, but the next thing I knew, I was running business divisions, uh, building Fortune 500 software, winning awards, which is up at the top there in that shelf, um, and speaking in front of, you know, a few thousand people in different countries that didn't speak my language. And telling them about the future of communications and technology. I didn't know I was going to do that. I had no idea. Uh, yeah. But all of a sudden, there I was. Um, music has been the one thing that's always been consistent. My family was very musical. My grandfather on my mother's side used to play with Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys back in the 50s. Oh, my gosh. Kind of swing band, right? Uh, my mom sang and danced. My grandmother sang. My dad played uh, trumpet. So there was just music everywhere. And I remember from is my first memory that there was somebody was singing. And so there was always that, mm. that sense of sound, that harmonic resonance going on. So that's been the one consistent thing throughout it. But 
when I got done with my tech career and I was able to take a sabbatical, I said, I'm going to, I got a couple of years here. I'm going to do exactly what I want. So I built a recording studio. So I took my technology background that I had just spent the last 10 years in and I applied it to building a studio. And I said, well, look at all those new toys and tech to do recordings and production with. So I applied the technology to building the studio. And then as I started making products, you know, CDs and releases with artists, mm -hmm. I used the marketing experience that I had in technology to yeah. apply to uh, producing and promoting uh, the works that we did. Um, then after I got out of that, I've, I've been basically doing a lot of technology consulting for the last 25 years. So I, I build products, I design systems, I help, I do strategy, um, helped a lot of companies doing a lot of things, mostly mm -hmm. small, trying to figure out what they wanted to be when they grew up. So wow. I've done a lot of that, and all of that is a result of doing all the other things that I've done prior to that. What was the beginning of the whole thing with the Nexus Next cast? Is that is that <laughs> the, the podcast that has had me in, enthralled all week? Um, <laughs> and just listening to so many of the different things that, that you guys talk about, how did how did that begin for you? So back in 2019, um, a couple of friends had started their own shows, and they were looking for guests and. They said, hey, Bauer, you've got a line of BS 20 miles long. Why don't you <laughs> jump on and, uh, and, and let us have some of that? And I said, okay, fine. So uh, I did, we did um, probably 20 or 30 shows and uh, with one, a couple of guys in particular, Rocky Stucci and uh, Scotty Roberts. Mm -hmm. And um, I kept, they kept asking me to come on, and the audience kept saying, we bring that guy back on. So uh, over time, over probably about 10 or 12 shows, the, everybody had a nickname that had come onto the show. Rocky's the emotional meatball, and Scotty's the uh, cannoli. And um, <laughs> so Rocky said, all right, audience, uh, Bauer needs a nickname. What are we going to call him? So the, the stuff started flying in the comments, and they settled on Professor. Because they said every time this guy shows up, you got to put your thinking cap on, and there's a test at the end. <laughs> so I became Professor Bauer, and then the next thing happened was Rocky said, hey, these uh, Odyssey radio show is looking for some programming. Do you want to do your own show? And I said, yeah, okay, yeah, that sounds like it could be fun. So I thought about what would I call the show, and the name the nexus or nexus came to mind because the nexus is where everything meets it's where mm -hmm. everything connects so it's been the nexus next cast ever since and i i added the next cast to it because podcasts are uh, it's a, again going back to linguistics proclivities that i have podcasts are based off of the ipod exactly most people don't and, know that and, unless they're around our age, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but and, and it's so it's, a, it's an old, it's an old term, and those things aren't around anymore. Yeah. And I get it that that people are you know stuck on that, and that's okay. But I said okay. I, one of the things I've always done in my marketing is I try to uh, come up with different terms to describe whatever it is yourself. that people yeah. are doing. So I said okay, it's going to be called the Nexus, and then N E X Cast. So. 
NEX and Nexus and NEX and CAS. And I said, okay, that's got a kind of a connection to it. So that's how it came about. Wow. Well, knowing, I mean, knowing some of your story, because I've, I've, like I said, consumed a bunch of your content over the past week or so. Are aliens real? (laughs) Well, I'll I'll try to, I've got a little rant on this. I'll try to keep it short. Go ahead. The whole, the whole thing about disclosure is the wrong term. Mm. Again, more of my linguistics corrections that I'm going to, that I do. So, when you take when you talk about disclosure, they basically are talking about two things. One are these things that we see in the air, newly renamed UAPs, which is like okay, whatever. Uh, but are UFOs are these things really ours or are they theirs? And so that's the first level. But the underlying level to that, the really important thing is, are we alone? Because mm-hmm. if they are someone else's stuff, then we are not alone. Well, the answer to that, to me, was answered millennia ago. Every civilization that we've uncovered and deciphered their cosmology has a story about somebody from up there came down here and gave us stuff, told us things, taught us things, created us. Even in in Christianity and the Abrahamic religions, they're all this heavenly dude said, poof, blew some breath into the dust and and out we came. So they all have the same thing. So as far as I'm concerned, are we alone? No, we haven't been alone, and we and it's again, we've been we've known this for millennia. So yeah, I think that the real term is not disclosure; it's exposure. The stuff that's that, going on now. Go ahead. <laughs> is 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 that a conspiracy? The yes, exposure and disclosure. Okay. Yes. And the reason I say it's a, it's a conspiracy is because I think a lot of the, the real consternation that's going on within the government and the intelligence and the military and, and even the corporate stuff is that they've had tech that would completely transform the world we live in for mm-hmm. at least 80 or more years. Well, they buy Free a patent energy. and they pay off the creators and then they own it and so then they never release it, you know. Right. So I think that's one of the things they're really afraid of is – is the exposure of the fact that they've had this tech that would have completely transformed the world in which we live and the way that it, we live in it and all the things that we do. Free energy, free water, free communications, all of that technology has been available for decades. Well, you and I and, are old enough to know that, I mean, if you go back 20 years, I remember thinking, who would pay for water? Right. I, I remember <laughs> saying, this, who would pay for water? You know, and then all these different studies started coming out. And then in my 20s, um, up until my 50, until I was 50 years old, I lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And there was this big thing on Lake Michigan and everybody was getting sick drinking the water. So people had to we had to boil the water or go buy water. It's like it's almost like, okay, you guys plan this. Right. It's like just to make a whole nother market of something that literally should be free. Um, Water. And paying for that, where the generations now, it's not even a thing. It was just a thing for us because, like you said, we were used to playing outside and going drinking out of the out of the water hose at anybody's house. You know, you're outside and you got thirsty and you got that cold water out of the out of the faucet right outside. And so many things have changed that I think we've we've forgotten about that used to be just this is how it is, and now it's all changed. 
to something new and all these different markets and everything else have come out that we now have to have to pay for you know again we're going through something now even television then we had cable now we've got netflix and it's like <laughs> you know it just everything it's just down it's just where is the money where can i get the money from from these um from these folks and and that goes back to you know the I, you asked about conspiracy theorists and mm-hmm. uh, I don't think that most people realize that that term was coined by the CIA back in the 60s. I didn't. And it, that's where that term came from. And the reason that they came up with it was to shut down all of the Kennedy assassination conversation. Mm. And it's documented. I'm not, you know, I'm not. That was big for a while. I mean, they made a whole doc, they made a whole movie. Um, who was it? Kevin, Bra- whoever the guy was, um, made a whole movie. Kevin Costner, yeah. Kevin Costner, yeah, um, about the assassination. That was big talk for almost a decade. It's died away. But it's like the magic bullet theory, right? It's, oh, it's yeah. like there's all these things. And then when you start looking at it and then if they ever release documents like they're supposed to, what, every 50 years, declassify things and then release them out. But, of course, some things are, you know, probably redacted or, or taken out and they just release what they want us to see or want us to know. And it's almost like sometimes you feel, as an American in particular, is my government telling me the truth about what's going on? And then the older you get, you realize they're not. I used to do a podcast. It was called um, Right Talk. And it was a political podcast. Um, obviously, I'm African-American, but I'm right-leaning. And so I did the podcast from that perspective, and I stopped doing the podcast when I came to a realization. And this was over a decade ago that I stopped doing that podcast. But once I realized through talking to people in politics, I'm talking about governors, I'm talking about senators, on both sides of the aisle, everybody's lying. It's just two sides of the same coin. And it's like when Trump ran and initially when Trump ran, everybody was making fun of him. Like all the pundits, all the talk show hosts were making for this guy's. He's a joke. Then all of a sudden he was the front runner and everybody that had downplayed him, played him up. And it's like, I can't do this because I actually can't tell the truth because no one's going to tell me the truth. But, I know you're lying to me, whatever it is that you're saying. So we're in this predicament now with conspiracy theories and everything else. And I think some of them run rampant or or go too far, but some of them are true. But we can never get the answer. And then when you see people die or leave the country like Snowden um, for like just telling it's like. Where, why can't somebody just speak the truth and tell me what's going on? I went well, on a rant there, but. No, I, I totally appreciate that. And I, um, what I think we're, go, what we're seeing, what's actually happening. And I, in the previous iteration of the Nexus, I did a, my last few shows on these topics. Mm-hmm. And one of them is on the, the rise of the content creator, which I'd like to 
talk to you about exactly as it relates to your show. Hello, incredible entrepreneurs out there. I'm Earl Hall, the host of The Earl Hall Show, and I have an exciting invitation just for you. Our show is on a mission to share the extraordinary stories of entrepreneurs like you, the visionaries who've overcome adversity, pain, and struggles to make a meaningful impact in the world. It's about the real journey behind your success. Think about it. Your story has the power to inspire, to motivate, and resonate. We're not here to sell. We're here to tell. Tell the tales of challenge and triumph, the hard-fought battles, and the sweetest victories. On The Earl Hall Show, your voice will reach a wider audience, an audience eager to hear your unique insights and experiences. Imagine sharing your story, your wisdom, with fellow entrepreneurs and dreamers looking for that spark of inspiration. This is your chance, a chance to connect, to inspire, and to be a part of something bigger. So if you're ready to share your entrepreneurial journey with the world, we're ready to hear it. Apply now to be a guest on The Earl Hall Show. Your story matters, and we can't wait to share it. Let's inspire together. Go to earlhallstudio.com, click on the link that says be on the podcast, fill in the form, and we will take it from there. But um, because of my background in technology and being one who I like to look at everything with what I call an observational neutrality. Mm -hmm. And that requires the suspending of your emotional response or reaction. And that's one of the things that happens when we were talking about conversation and debate. People listen to to learn how to do that real quick. (laughs) (laughs) People people listen with the the intent to uh, react but not respond. Mm -hmm. There's a difference. Mm -hmm. And again, going back to the importance of linguistics and understanding what these words mean and and how they affect you. In fact, I have a my own personal philosophy I've been working on that I call informatica, and that is that everything in in reality and in our experience is nothing but information. And that information is what I call the metrics in the matrix. So what happens is we are inundated. We have a tsunami, a deluge of data that comes at us, and it's on purpose. And it's partly organic from the standpoint of all of this new technology like we're using now uh, has just made a phenomenal improvement and increase in, in, in productivity. And yes. I mean, it, there's, it's just ubiquitous, right? So everybody can do what we're doing now, which goes back to the rise of the content creators. But the last show that I did in 2019, then I had no idea that the COVID hmm. stuff, which I don't get me down that path, but um, me <laughs> I didn't realize what was coming, but the name of the show was the knowledge apocalypse. And the subtitle was The End of the Curated Narrative. So what you just described, what the, what the challenge that you went through with your political podcast, was an example to me of the curated narrative. There is a narrative that is proliferated by a few. This isn't by the majority. And this is where yeah. people, yeah. I think, get confused. Mm-hmm. You have a noisy minority that is... Uh, creating this tsunami and deluge of nonsense that is coming out. And they've carefully crafted and curated the narrative to elicit the kind of responses that uh, reactions that people are 
not that are not thinking about in their response. They're reacting emotionally because the words are have been redefined to trigger certain emotions and and visuals in the mind. So essentially when you if you're consuming what people typically refer to as a mainstream media, I refer to it as a legacy media. <laughs> the new media is on the rise. That's what we're doing right here. And I give you major props and thumbs up for what you're doing because you, well, thank you. are going to help change and transform this curated narrative into a, a more complete narrative. So people don't realize that this legacy media, they, they're in the business of assigning your opinions to you. Yes. So and you see that you, you see that it, it, legacy media and what's funny. This is what's funny to me. You've got like in particular, I'm thinking about Fox News, right? Um, no spin like Bill O'Reilly, no spin zone. Right. And all that stuff. And they would downplay the traditional newscast media. But now they're the media that's doing the spinning and they're, they're trying to act like they're not the media because they call the other folks the media right you know you believe whatever the media tells you well you're on tv right now aren't you media what what is it that you're doing and we all know that bad news travels faster than good news anyway and that's why news and everything that we see it's on that negative tinge and it's almost like i don't care who's talking about it it's from that negative perspective to draw on that emotion to draw us in because now we're scared and so now we have to figure out you know, the thing that we actually need to be scared of because we've got 50 people telling me you need to be scared of this. Right. And like you said, it's a, it's a minority, very small minority of people that are influencing the masses. And that's right. what's scary to me. <laughs> well, I think that, I think the tide is, is turned. Um, I think we're actually um, at, at a point where, and, and I'll just I'll try to generalize this over the last five years since the the pandemic, spandemic, plandemic, however you want to uh, couch it, because there's a lot of evidence for each one of them individually as well as collectively. Mm -hmm. um, but any anything that had uh, any kind of authority attached to it was given authority, um, governments, institutions, agencies, um, and in particular, the experts. Anybody with, my, my favorite phrase right now is anybody with a TLA tattooed on the ass end of their name are the first suspects that I am going to question. Fauci. Because, <laughs> yeah, because the expert class has lost all credibility because their track record over the last five years has been crap. And, and it's, it's easy to see. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's nothing else other than demonstrable, observable facts. Yeah. There is no one who was involved in this latest thing that we've all been put through who was an expert, a Ph.D., an M.D. I don't care what you what you're tattoo is on the ass end of your name you were all wrong mm -hmm. the government was wrong the institutions were wrong the uh the judicial system has been wrong 
and it's not my opinion, that's an observable fact. Yeah. So it's not. So in my analysis of the crap that went went down, I'm sitting there going, well, all y'all messed up big time. And if you're going to try to do pull it again, if you if you think we don't remember, you are sadly mistaken. Well, here's the so, thing, too, Robert, because. Okay, we've seen all of this stuff. I mean, the, the proof is out there. Okay, we've seen the results of what's happened, as well as those quote unquote experts, um, self proclaimed. They've never come back and said, you know what, I was wrong. I Isn't apologize. That a tell? Right. It's, that's, <laughs> to me, that's a tell. If that's you can't a, that's come back tell. and correct your mistakes, um, which are blatant, obvious, and, and uh, available for anyone to see and, and look at, mm-hmm. then the, you have another, there's something else nefarious afoot. Definitely. So that's why I don't, I've gotten to the point now, my, one again, one of my favorite things to say is that, you know, the, in, in our, in America, what I, you and I grew up as, and we had a common sense of some traditional traits, accountability, responsibility mm-hmm. getting off your butt and you know having to make your own um those were traits that we grew up with and one of them was you are innocent until proven guilty <laughs> well now is in my opinion and this is my opinion anything that comes out of officialdom with any kind of authority i.e government is guilty until proven innocent you can't trust. They're all, they've blown the trust factor by virtue of just demolishing by their own incompetence and inept execution any credibility that they had. Yeah. It's gone. And, and it's difficult for people to see that and to accept it because it's a lot easier to depend on somebody else and, and what they say is in, instead of thinking for yourself. And my, and my last little piece on this rant is about the education system we mentioned Ooh. earlier. One of the things that has, that I think, been the most significant corruption and infection in our education system is, again, when you and I grew up, grew up we were taught how to think. Hmm. The last 30 years, they changed that to what to think. It is definitely true that that is going on. And there's so much handwriting on the wall, even right now with, I mean, it's funny, the declaration, we, the people, in order to form a more perfect union, we, the people, it's like, well, I mean, I know you heard the term sheeple before, but it's like with everything that they're trying to, to cancel, freedom of speech being the main one. If I hurt your feelings, all of a sudden I should probably go to jail or I should lose my job because I don't agree with how you're speaking, you know, or or you don't agree with how I'm speaking. So I need to pay for that in some way, shape or form. The debate or social discourse or whatever you want to call it, that's gone out of the window. It's almost like this is how it is now. Look at Jordan Peterson. Right. Mm -hmm. All the stuff that Jordan Peterson um, has gone through and this is coming here. It, it, It actually already is here. And with the new legislation that they're trying to put out to actually silence folks, uh, even in social media 
from being able to do things. I, I think about Tucker Carlson. He got canceled. He went to social media. That blew up. You know, people are angry about that. So they're trying to cancel him. You've got, you know, Elon Musk, uh, people trying to cancel him for X and how he feels about freedom of speech. It's like, how come you get to say or they get to say whatever they want to say? <laughs> but I'm not allowed to say what I want to say because I don't agree with what they say. We don't I don't even believe they teach the Constitution or Declaration of Independence or actual real history in schools anymore. I ask my kids questions all the time. They have no clue what I'm talking about. I'm like, how do you not know this? You know, and so the educational system is failing us on, on several different levels. And you've probably heard the discussions about um, people saying there's no need to go to college anymore. You can learn what you want to learn. I mean, YouTube is an actual university for, for a lot of people, right, to learn a skill set. I mean, if you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, yeah, you, you got to go to school um, or certain uh, really high end type of, of career fields. But you don't have a degree. I don't have a degree. Um I don't know how much you make. I make over six figures with no college degree. I, so this whole system of school and how it's been, and I'm going to say this, and I know I'm on a rant too, right? But I told <laughs> I'm sorry my that I kicked it off. <laughs> I told my kids, you know, and I've I've explained. It's like, do you know why you get summer vacation? Well, we need a break. That's not why you get summer vacation. It's like you get summer vacation. Because back during the farming age, and then we switched over to the industrial age, but during that time, the parents needed the kids at home to be in the fields. But when the industrial age happened, this is why you're in school eight hours a day, so that you can be trained to go out into the workforce to make someone else rich and not complain about it. You, have, you we, have been indoctrinated to this type of system because I used to think even as a, as a person in high school or wherever, why can't we just go to school and then it ends? Why do I have to wait till I'm 17, 18 years old, you know, going through some classes that don't make a difference to me at all. I was a horrible student, by the way, that's because I was easily bored. I wanted to be more engaged with things that, that I was doing. That's why I got into computer science because that engaged me a lot more than most of the other classes, except for mathematics. I did like mathematics a lot. But we've been indoctrinated on so many different levels, and this has been a system put in place to keep us under control. Those are my thoughts. So I'm sorry about my rant. Welcome to my TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was uh, excellent. And again, I agree with everything that you said. The There's a great uh, video. Uh, let me just tag on to your YouTube thing. I think YouTube is the, one of the most profound technological revolutions that's happened in the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, it's, and people don't realize the importance of the content creation that, is, that YouTube enabled. Now you've got a whole bunch of other platforms, Rumble and BitChute, <laughs> and you know, God knows there's all kinds of them popping up. But back to your point about you know, the cancel culture. Here's yet another example of going after the wrong things for the wrong reasons and not getting the results that you expected. Mm -hmm. and what I mean by that is the folks that tried to silence those that you mentioned and many, many others, they failed. 
because all of those folks are out there kicking serious hiney right now. Yeah. And yeah. they're only getting started. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So these people, the the one thing that you notice about those, the noisy few that are that are causing all this consternation is they don't they they seem to not understand a couple of fundamental things one they don't understand human motivation Mm. they miss that completely they're trying to direct it without understanding Understanding. it and the second thing is is they they don't realize that the more you try to shut something down the more it's going to rise and if they can't see that from their own track record and they continue to push down these this path of canceling the speech what they they don't want to cancel your speech they want you they want to hear their words coming out of your mouth, your mouth. right and when you, when somebody doesn't acquiesce to that request then they are all of a sudden branded with the x or whatever it might be thou shalt be canceled because you are not conforming to the consciousness that we want you to uh, adhere to. It's like, well, the reason that they're trying to do this, they don't understand the motivation of individuals. People want to be able to have a conversation. They want to have a free exchange of ideas. And you can't do that when you are told that the only ideas that are acceptable in discourse are these. Here we got a little bag of ideas and acceptable speech that you uh, now must use and carry forth and, and conduct out. yourself mm-hmm. with. And and that's just not the way that humans work. So they don't understand the the, the psyches of, of humans and how we function. And the one thing that they do understand is the most powerful persuasion that humans know, and that's fear. Yeah. So you were mentioning earlier about... Uh, Everybody's telling me I got to be scared of this, got to be scared of that. I got to, you know, fear, doom, gloom, and and boom. It's like, well, look, I can be just as scared and afraid of one thing as the next person. But I have seen so much of that for so long. Climate change is another one. I remember back in the 70s being told that, you know, we were about to head into an ice age. And uh, then, uh, you know, as this stuff progressed, it was we're going to end the solar or the polar caps are going to be melted. Melted, The seas are going to rise. I mean, all I think we all have seen that 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 clip of the ice falling off of the polar uh, off of into the ocean. We've seen that clip at nauseum. Yeah. And see, I'm I'm enough of a um, analyst and enough have enough experience with a number of different knowledge disciplines. I love physics. I love science, um, the music side. I mean, I, I regularly, and I will admit this, and I admit it freely, and I kind of wear it as a badge. I get into some of these uh, conversations with physicists and people that are, you know, the science deniers and or the people that call all the rest right. of us science deniers. right. And I know enough about physics and about Tesla and Faraday and Maxwell and Heaviside and um, Whitehead, all these guys that have been doing phenomenal work for the last century and a half that have basically taken Einstein and put a whole bunch of question marks around that E equals MC squared. MC squared. You, know what yeah. I found, you know what I found out E equals MC squared actually is? 
E is energy equals milk is M, C is coffee, which <laughs> squared. <laughs> okay, I hope some young people aren't listening to this because they'll just be completely confused because they don't even know what e equals MC squared means. So, <laughs> so my, my, I guess you know, I'll try to wrap this back up. My, my point is, is that when I called the show the knowledge apocalypse, an apocalypse in the true sense of the word, it's not a catastrophe, it's not catastrophism. Apocalypse means to unveil, hmm. to reveal. And just as a side note, I did have a Christian ministry back in the 80s okay. uh, in a Pentecostal church. And, oh, uh, my. We used I to... used to be Pentecostal myself, so that was fire and brimstone. I already know. Oh, brother, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about there. Yeah. So we used to go to youth, home, uh, youth authorities, rest homes and prisons and minister and beat people over the head with the, the good book and all that. So mm -hmm. just as a side note for, for you. Um but the, th the, the, the knowledge apocalypse is the revealing of all the stuff that's been hidden. Our history is not what we've been told. Mm. Our sciences are not what we've been told. Our health and wellness and medicine and pharmaceuticals in particular are complete. They're, they're allopathic. I'm a Taoist. I became a Taoist back in the mid-90s. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I'm also a Shiatsu practitioner, which is... Japanese Ooh. for acupressure. Yeah. Okay. So I had to learn traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic and uh, herbology and naturopathy. And when I found out all the information in those fields, I realized that all this stuff that's coming out of the pharmaceutical industry and the the traditional medical industry uh, was lacking a whole bunch of information. These people don't know anything about nutrition. They don't know anything about how bioenergetics. They don't understand any of the stuff that is oh. important to the way that we actually function. So, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. The science that's gone into the medical industry, if you got a limb that needs to be reattached, that's the first place I'm going. I'm going to go in there and say, all right, get out the knives and the wires and hook me back up. Yeah, hook me back up, But baby. for my wellness, for my health, my physical, my mental, my psychological, all those different disciplines – I'm not going to go anywhere near those folks because they don't know. They're not educated. They may have a Ph.D., an M.D., and an E-I-E-I-O mm -hmm. tattooed on the ass of their name, <laughs> but they do not. They do not have a totality of understanding of the entire field of health and wellness. Wow. It's the same thing with, uh, with technology. I'm big, I've got a business um, where I'm focused on developing – AI, which is, I, it's not artificial intelligence. I call it assisted intelligence mm -hmm. and blockchain and tokenization. And the blockchain and tokenization in particular is where the content creators are going to finally be liberated from the stranglehold of the industry of music and art and all of that that's been, it's got so many intermediaries in it. Nobody knows where the money is or where it goes. Yeah, I think it's 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 probably advisable for people to even look at what the blockchain is. I mean, it's it's more than crypto, um, you know. And crypto there's so exists much because of because the of the blockchain, exactly. Uh, but there's so many different things that can be built on 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 top of that. And like you said, in particular for people that are in fields of content creation, music, art, authors, even um, writing books, I think it, and it can affect and enhance and help so many different people 
with what it is that they're doing. And it's like now's the time, I believe. I've been looking at blockchain for at least the past three years um, and just waiting for it to to take off. You've got pioneers out there like Gary Vee is one of the pioneers of of using blockchain in particular. I mean, selling tickets, sports, um, baseball cards, memorabilia. I mean, it's it's wide. Oh, it's it's going to be the true wild wild west when this thing starts starts breaking out the way this you see i got kind of excited but i, I like that topic of of blockchain as well um because there's so much that you can build on top of that that i know will enhance what we already have it's like we're i remember i mean i graduated high school in 1987 and this was obviously before social media this was before really the internet even but i remember friends of mine, we had these little 24 baud modems. You remember those? You know, and I had a Commodore 64, right? Now we're really speaking Greek to the, millenn the millennials. But we would <laughs> get on and talk to each other typing just by calling each other's computers up and, and typing that way. But I bring that up because that was really the infancy of where we are now. And we're nowhere. It's like we think we're, I mean, we're far from where we were, but the speed of how technology comes out, it's not in years. It's like in weeks at this point, and it just continues to get better and better and better. And it's one of the things that I say to even clients that I consult for like business development and things like that. It's like people are afraid of AI taking over their jobs. And it's like AI is not going to take over your job, but the person using AI will. <laughs> the person that knows how to use AI is going to take your job. That's what's yeah. actually going to happen um, with and, that. And I think one of the one of the things again, it's interesting to me how I did when I did these shows five years ago now. Um, mm -hmm. How I, I guess in some ways they were kind of prescient, and that I was talking about subjects that were about to unfold. Mm -hmm. And another one of the shows I did was. Uh, your ID is going to be your currency. <laughs> and the reason that's going to happen is because of tokenization, mm -hmm. which is essentially what all things are on a blockchain. blockchain. Blockchain is nothing more than a, a spreadsheet, right, in the simplest terms. But it's an immutable crypt encrypted record that is tied. You can never go backwards in a blockchain. You can always go forward. Mm -hmm. So... The, your identity, once, you, once we get to the point where you have your personal tokenized s self on your device, you then have all of your information that you own. It's tokenized. It's on the blockchain. It's immutable. The sovereignty and provenance of self is what we're about to see. That individual liberty and control of having control of your own data is what this technology is going to bring. And mm -hmm. people don't realize they think, well, you know, I, I, they're going to do the central bank digital currency, CBDCs, and they're going to be able to turn you off and on and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, if you let them then and you go play in that field, then, yes, you're going to be subjected to that. But what's really happening is the ability to own your information right now. I, I we were talking to, on a show the other day and somebody said something about cash. And I said, I haven't carried cash probably in 10 months. Okay. Yeah. I haven't had a dollar or a penny in my pocket yeah. because everything is already digitized. 
Mm-hmm. But the, the problem and the difference of what, we're, what we are now to what we're going to be is this. Right now, your information is scattered across 100 or more different systems. That information about you and your credit cards, your banking, your insurance, uh, whatever it is that you have uh, that you sign up for online, all that data about you is on their systems. And unless you mm-hmm. remember your password, mm-hmm. you don't have access to your own data. The tokenization of the identity, which will create the sovereignty and provenance of self, is right around the corner. And everybody's going to have the control over their, their own identity. So if you have to go do, for example, they need to see your driver's license and you're purchasing something, whatever. That information will be on your tokenized tank your your vault on your device and only the information that's needed for that valid that validation or verification is what you will allow out the rest of it stays secure in your own vault your own tokenized self imagine what that means for medical records um just that alone i mean right now our data is out there and can be found you know. It's everywhere, and it and it's and it's nowhere, and so this this technology. This is part of what I'm building with my it, my tech business, which is called System X Technologies, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm taking this model to from the self through the business world. So it doesn't matter if it's public or private sectors, mm-hmm. and you'll be able to, and and where the real importance, in my opinion, is in the fields of education and in content creation. Um, right now, the, part of the explosion we're, gonna, we're seeing, but we're gonna see even more of, going back to the academic is, issues that we talked about with the education system. Um, right now, there is on YouTube, you can learn just about anything you want. You can even learn how to do an, a full-blown operation on some organ. It's out there doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to want to do it. But you have technology like uh, Apple's just released their, whatever they called their vision something today. Oh, uh, yeah, my, the, the goggles, the vision, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and Microsoft has been way ahead of that for at least the last six or seven years with what they call um, uh, their, it's the holograph, not the holograph, the HoloLens. Okay. So the HoloLens, they've been able to take 3D models, of, and they've, there's videos all over YouTube where they've got the complete expansion and explosion of the anatomical system. And you can rotate them, you can look at them, you can change them. Uh, you can do that with anything with engineering. You can do it with particle acceleration even in physics. So the ability to have a augmented reality not a virtual reality but an mm-hmm. augmented reality of of learning some skill set learning some uh, about the way that something is mechanically designed or how it works fluid dynamics it doesn't matter it's all available that is going to be taken over by people who put that together individually and deliver the best content so teachers people who are putting together courses and curriculum. Jordan Peterson has got his own out now. Mm-hmm. Rupert Sheldrake is another phenomenal 
Uh, he's a biologist, but this guy is, to me, he's breaking the paradigm of science, and particularly in the fields of consciousness and, and the what he calls the uh, ten dogmas of science, because they're all based on assumptions. They're not based on facts, okay. the, um, which is a whole other subject we can get into. But you're, what you're going to see are these people who are putting together courses, and people will gravitate to them. The ones that have the best courses are going to be consumed by the the consumer. They are going to yeah. rise up, and we're seeing that right now in this rise of the new media. The reason Tucker Carlson, Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, uh, Russell Brand, um, all these folks, people are going to them because they feel something different. They feel that there's there's more credibility they feel like they're, they're not being played they feel like they're not being lied to they feel like someone's being authentic with them and just sharing their thoughts you know this is what i think you know you think what you want but i'm just sitting here having a conversation with a guy like you know robert here and we're just just talking i first of all this is probably one of the few one of the few episodes i've done that is not like highly tech related. Like, you know me as a podcaster and I teach podcasting and I teach content creation and stuff like that. But I wanted to do this with you and others um, on the Earl Hall show so that people actually start understanding who I am as well as the guest. The, the, <laughs> me having a conversation with someone like you draws me out, especially as an introvert. It draws me out to say what I think and think and say what I feel and allow people in. Right. And I think that's the attraction of like a Joe Rogan um, in particular, because he talks to uh, along a, a wide span of topics. Right. Mm -hmm. And nobody cares. Cause like, well, I can't say nobody cares, but it's like, we're taught you want to niche down. You want to talk to a specific audience. Joe just likes having conversations. You know, it's like, let's just let's just talk about the wildest and craziest things we can talk about, you know, and just put out there. And he doesn't care what people think about him. And I think that's the attraction of those types of folks. Um, even we can throw in Tucker Carlson. Obviously, we can throw in Jordan Peterson because he doesn't give a damn what anybody says or thinks about him anymore. He's gone through so much hell um, and still is, you know, but I think you're right. We're at a time and at an age where people are just tired of the BS and the pandering and the lying and the positioning and all that other kind of stuff. And they just want to know that they're listening to someone that's informed, but is not trying to control a narrative, but is just being authentic. And so I got to thank you for coming on this episode of the Earl Hall show. This has meant a lot to me because I don't usually do this type of thing, which you probably know, but it's the reason why I'm doing the, this new iteration of the Earl Hall show. Now, obviously I'll still talk about tech, but I want to talk to more crazy guys like you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I, I, like I said at the beginning, I really appreciate the invite and, and you were asking about, you know, what is this nexus? And, and you just, in your, your last, little rant there went on uh with what is this the subtext or the subtitle to the nexus and that is interesting subjects interesting people 
interesting discussions. Well, this has definitely because, been one of those. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thank you for the opportunity to to have that interesting discussion on interesting uh, subjects with interesting people. Um, there's there's so much out there that is just it's burgeoning. It's people have had enough. Their BS filters and their meters mm -hmm. and sensors have been peaked into the red, and they're going, yeah. "What's going on out here?" Well, where can I find some information, some conversation that is has integrity, authenticity, and and is not afraid uh, for to to say what they think, to say what they feel? Because if you can't say what you think, you're not going to have very good conversation, hmm. and and you have to be able to know that you're having a conversation that is not going to be um, couched and and packaged and oh you can't go go don't go over there you're outside the guardrails right you have right. to know that whatever you say and whatever as somebody else says you have to say well i'm going to give this respect because respect is the big thing that's missing out there in my opinion absolutely well on that note robert thank you so much for being on this episode of the earl hall show it means a lot to me that you took the time out um, to speak to me today and I mean I applaud what it is that you're doing which is you're just going out there and sharing your thoughts and feelings with the world and letting everyone come to their own conclusions but you know hearing another perspective like yours I think is important on a lot of different levels so thank you for being here with me today I definitely appreciate it thank you Earl it's been a pleasure on this Flashback Friday I want to bring you back to my special guest Hey, you could be a guest on the Earl Hall Show so that you can share your story and your experiences so that you can reach a wider audience. Just click the link in the description. Be on the Earl Hall Show to learn more.